This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. My name is Matteo Rizzi. I'm the executive producer of the show. Today, is uh, the show is brought to you by Played proudly, and we're going to talk 360 degrees about uh, payments and open banking with two, I want to say, monsters in a good way, meaning uh, two extremely talented and knowledgeable people in the field, which I will ask to introduce themselves in a minute. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social, stay with us for this first 20 minutes, and uh, off we go. Keith from Plate, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Thank you for having me, Matteo. It's great to be here. Couple of words about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Keith Gross. Uh, I'm the head of international for Plaid. I lead the UK and European business. For those that aren't familiar with Plaid, we're the world's leading open banking platform covering North America, the UK, and Europe. And we support both open banking data and open banking payments use cases powering a lot of the large consumer-facing and business-facing fintechs that people know today. Great, Keith. Thank you. Uh, uh, go, let's go to the other guest, uh, Eric Lassus. Uh, um, Eric, old friend from Societe Generale, uh, welcome back to uh, Breaking Banks. So please uh, give us a short introduction about yourself. Thank you, uh, Matteo. So uh, great to be there. And I'm, I'm the co-founder and uh, now the CEO uh, of Treasure. And Treasure is a bank as a service platform that is uh, installed uh, and localized in Germany, France, Italy, and Spain now. So we are extending our services in Europe and we are uh, mainly an issuer. And now uh, we are providing open banking services and uh, instant payment and uh, also uh, SIPA, uh, SIPA payment services. So uh, very, very great to be there and to, uh, and to have a share all together. So guys, uh, you, as you all know, you know, nobody's perfect. I used to work for Swift for many years, actually 13. And uh, I see a, a great comparison between uh, the world of payments uh, and uh, Swift. You know, people only noticed, uh, you know, uh, Swift when things went south, right? When, when, you know, things didn't work for some reason, right? Because we were considered a commodity, you know, a pipe or, you know, like a part of the, part of the plumbing of financial services. In the same way, I consider payments, right? So payments is like a, Part of everyday life, uh, you know, you could consider it uh, pretty much any startup of the planet as a fintech because uh, the last mile very often uh, involves the payments, right? And uh, I wonder whether we could start with uh, some sort of uh, general introduction about uh, what kind of new avenues you see, you know, in this uh, in this space. Uh, 
you know, not forgetting the fact that the past uh, at least 18 months uh, have sort of changed the scenery a lot, right? So, Keith, why don't you give it a start? Yeah, I, I think I absolutely echo what you're saying in terms of people only notice payments when when they break, and that's where the world is headed. And if you think about that, I think my favorite example here is, is how people may not think about this, but how Uber changed payments, right? The idea of you don't have to think about paying, you just get out of the car when you're done with your ride and walk and the payment happens. I think that's where we're moving towards more broadly. And as we, one thing that I think COVID really accelerated, which you also touched on, is the rise of the app-based ecosystem for managing your financial life. And I think in that ecosystem where more and more people are managing their financial health, making payments, doing everything from apps on a smartphone device, that is where account-to-account payments, I think, are really going to thrive going forward. And we're in the early innings of open banking payments paving the way there. In a world where every consumer and every small business can manage their banking application from their phone and receive funds on a banking application on their phone and instant payment rails exist, we're going to quickly move to this world where instead of four or five intermediaries, you're just passing funds directly between accounts on those instant payment rails via APIs. And I think open banking providers are going to be part of the big story of that growth in Europe in the coming years. Eric, go. Yes, and and so so embedded embedded finance or embedded payments means that you have to cope with a very strong and uh, user experience as the as the payment is completely embedded in other services. So you, the challenge is is to uh, to 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 continue to be innovative or make it uh, completely hidden, maybe. And also, so to cope with the, the 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 matter of user experience, so the technology evolves, but you 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 should not compromise the, the user experience. So that, that's uh, I think uh, a challenge for us to be able to provide the the, the good technology to uh, to make it happen and make it works. So. Eric, you 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 mentioned like embedded finance, and uh, I was actually thinking that uh, you know, for, uh, Keith, like uh, make the numbers right, but uh, I think I read that half, if not more, of the Fortune 500 companies in the in the U.S. are using Play the for it might be like a bit less or more, but in like an impressive number of a four to five Fortune 500 companies are using play the four uh, like uh, uh, embedded financial services right and and i always give this example of booking.com you know because it's dealt it, uh, because my friend dan marovitz uh, uh, sort of built a, a a worldwide financial services platform for for a for a travel company right that all of a sudden become uh, you know, very much a fintech company as well, because thanks to that platform, they could improve improve their bottom line for credit and collection, right? So why don't we talk a little bit uh, and, you know, let's maybe your vision, your experience, your direct market experience with embedded finance so that, you know, for, for like our auditors who are not all like fintech super experts, uh, you know, they can sort of place the... the the theme, and also your own, your own experience uh, with it, Keith. Yeah, absolutely. So I think embedded finance is what we're seeing as one of the big waves and trends right now, just broadly on a global basis, but especially within um, the developed world. And I think what you can think of there is, again, going back to the fact that more and more the smartphone is the center of both an individual's and a, a business's life and how they manage their finances. In that world, then, what Embedded Finance is bringing is anywhere you have an application or service that already has a big user base, 
it's now incredibly easy for you to embed financial services using other providers into that application. And so we're going to start seeing that happen more and more. Uh, easy examples of this are the ability to get loans or, or manage a checking account if you're a gig economy worker from the application where you're actually you know, getting orders and serving them and, and, and navigating. And I think similarly, you're going to start to see any application that has a big user base start to offer financial services. And the reason they can do that is because all these services have been turned into exposed APIs that are easy to embed. And so what that means is you can go to a provider like a, like a Plaid or, or Trezo or someone else, and you can bring in and drop in it very quickly with just a couple of weeks engineering effort, those services and have them up and running. So it's almost a modular way for you to bring financial services into any existing application. And so the way I think about it is every tech company is becoming a fintech company. And I think we're really starting to see that come to fruition here with, as you mentioned, all the Fortune 100 companies that are starting to look at this more seriously. Eric, would you like to comment? Yes, and, and uh, I am totally agree. And, and I would say, moreover, the, the, the idea is to uh, not compromise the user experience, as I said. So that means that all what you want to, uh, if, if embedded finance means that you, you need to cope completely and to be completely embedded in the, in the user experience and the user uh, interface from the application. If you have, uh, um, if, if you break, if you break the user experience, that means that you have not really well understood, understand the, the matter. So the idea for the, the payment service provider, it's to allow uh, services company to uh, to integrate the, the solution by means of API, as Kate have said, and but uh, to provide a good technology to, uh, to let the user using the interface of the application and not to, uh, to, to break down this, this uh, I would say user journey, the client journey, and this is this is simple to say, but not that simple to do. As you have to cope with data, because embedded finance means uh, uh, understanding uh, thanks to the the data or the BI or whatsoever. So using data to propose uh, services, uh, coping with regulation, indeed. But you know, and with the user experience, so. Uh, Propose uh, some finance, so let's such, such such as credit or uh, payment facility, or so on and so forth, and, and doing everything uh, with the the the, the user the, the client journey provided by the the application. It's very it's key. And I think to add on to that, I fully agree and, and chime in on the user experience part because I think where we're headed, and we're not 100% there yet in, in every industry and in every country, is to a world where you can use biometrics on your phone as your primary mode of authentication. So I think if you think about the era that we're in now of digital finance, typing in your card details or even using a plastic card to pay online seems unnecessary when you can get to this experience where I can just face ID to confirm a payment. Apple Pay and Google Pay started that trend a little bit, but I think it's going to become more democratized as we get access to this. And PSD2 has really helped to, to urge this along here in Europe as well. And I think that's where we're headed in the long term is the ability to easily control both access to your data, but also payments with no typing of any details, passwords, credit card numbers at all. It's going to take time to get there, but I think that's where payments is headed in this world. You know, uh, I have to sort of, uh, I have to salute, uh, you know, Keith, Keith's kindness, you know, because uh, it is it is funny i just realized that uh, in all these years i was actually 
technically pronouncing the name of one of the most famous company of the planet, wrong. But, you know, be, I'm Italian, so, you know, I, I think that I have some, uh, you know, you, you can cut some slack <laughs> about it. But as of now, you know, and, uh, and I'm learning like live on Breaking Banks, it's flat and not played. And that's because, frankly, I've never studied English. You know, I, I, I often confess that. And sometimes the easiest pronunciation, you know, gives me, gives me challenges. So thank you. And I want to leave it live because people will actually, you know, probably look at it with, uh, with a smile. <laughs> I hope you can forgive me, Keith. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you for noticing. And I definitely will not hold it against you. Uh, it, it's, it's an American pronunciation and it's a global world. So uh, that's that's the way it is. <laughs> cool. Actually, you know, you, you, you mentioned the, you know, so far we have been in a very sort of a European uh, US centric uh, context. Okay. Uh, as you know, I'm an investor in, in emerging markets, mainly in, in Africa. And uh, what I'm noticing uh, more often than not is that because the, the markets are often uh, too small for a single startup to thrive in a single country, for example, a lot of startups are trying to like build super apps, you know, typically starting with the right hailing, uh, you know, with an Uber, an Uber-like, and then putting services on the top, such as, uh, you know, leasing of the vehicle, digital payments, uh, merchant payments, and then peer-to-peer, -peer, and then insurance. So basically, this concept of uh, composable financial services, uh, in, even in emerging markets, uh, it actually has been developing uh, quite quite fast. And my question to you is, do you see particularly a uh, huge opportunity of growth in emerging markets, maybe because regulation gave that opportunity or simply because, uh, you know, for a, a sort of the nature of the market, right, where aggregating uh, different services uh, is the only is the only way to go, Eric? What do you think? You know, you Societe Generale, uh, you know, is particularly present in Africa. You must be exposed, yes. uh, you know, into into some of it. Yes, we are also uh, in in some uh, country in Europe that are not so uh, developed in, in payments. But I, let's say, yes, you you right you you right saying regulation. Uh, it's a part of the of the of the, of the matter. You know, uh, sometimes because we have no regulation. It is difficult to start some new services as it is not, uh, we are not allowed to do so. So, as soon as the regulator starts to deregulate or regulate some market, all of a sudden, so there are room for, there are places for uh, improvement. So, we can, we can set some services. And this is what currently is doing, uh, it's currently uh, uh, done in Africa. So, some countries have regulated uh, the payments, some not. But uh, we are on the way to. Uh, they are on the way to accelerate. So there are huge opportunities because of that. The momentum is good, in fact. So uh, now you, you can imagine starting something in different country because we are talking about a cent or a volume business or cent business. <laughs> so we need we need volume to uh, to cope with uh, the, the our growth. So uh, so if there is no regulation, this is an issue. The second one is because of that, there is no, uh, I would say, uh, facility, or this is not that easy to, to, to uh, send payments abroad as all the systems are not connected. 
Uh, in Europe, we are we are connected by means of SIPA, for example. In Africa, this is not the case. Each country has its own solution. So we need to cope with each country. So it brings some complexity in the platform. It costs a lot to provide the, 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 interpro- the, the connection between countries. So thanks to the wallet uh, technology and the peer-to-peer technology, as and open banking maybe, but open banking is not yet, I would say, achieved in, in, in Europe, let's say. I, I have to say that this is not really working well yet. Uh, it is improving, but in Africa, it doesn't exist. So, so uh, but the momentum is good as the countries are now, uh, because thanks to the regulation, the countries or banks are now working hard on the subject. Uh, the countries are building their interconnectivity uh, between uh, between themselves, and uh, so I think uh, all these uh, materials uh, uh, lead us to to think that this is the good momentum to start uh, some initiative in Africa, and we are currently examining this uh, very seriously. Especially because, by the way, we still have 200 million people in Africa speaking the same language and using the same uh, currency. You know that the, the as- CFR. Yes, and I can, as, as we said just before, uh, many things came from the, the, the mobile apps. And in Africa, there is just only mobile apps. <laughs> so, the, and, and the, 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 the population is very young compared to Europe. So, that means that it will, it will be, I would say, uh, more difficult to set some services, but granted, the, the people, the, the personal individuals will, will certainly are more at ease to use it or to, uh, uh, to use some services uh, easily. Uh, I, would, I would definitely agree with that. And I think part of what makes emerging markets so exciting here is exactly that. Because there, isn't, there hasn't been a lot of legacy infrastructure in some of these cases, you're moving directly from a cash-based economy to a digital economy, and you're going to see innovation because of that. And I think you're going to see net new use cases and net new things brought to market by the demand there. And I think I agree that regulation is going to be really important as well. But I'd also say that in cases where regulation comes slowly, the market can build a solution. We saw this in the U.S. as well, where there's not to date open banking regulation, but there is open banking there. And so I think ideally regulators come and help promote this in a safe and secure way. But if not, I think it's totally capable for the market to build it themselves as well. Uh, okay, so last question before uh, before we break. Uh, let's talk. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm often asked. Uh, you know, what are the biggest innovation in payments? And then often say, you know, th- I'm not an expert on this uh, because uh, uh, on, on on one hand, uh, this is it is really about infrastructure, and on the other hand, is really about. Uh, it seems to me that the main innovation are in the consumer behavior, in, in, the, in the behavior in which clients are going to pay. But there is one distinction that I would like to make and actually to pick your brain uh, about, which is, uh, is it more a B2B or a B2C play in terms of innovation in payments? Because on one side, I see as an investor that... Uh, there is a lot happening in, for example, you know, marketplace uh, manage, you know, m- managing the supplier, supplier and demand, uh, sort of seamlessly, or like uh, uh, giving credits to your own uh, supplier, sort of play, which is still payments, pretty much B two B, 
And then what you just said about uh, just getting out uh, of, of, an, of, of an Uber, like uh, touch your ring, uh, touch your head, uh, whatever, adjust your belt uh, and make a payment, you know? So, so more into, but and, and is it, are, are, they're certainly both uh, sort of exciting, but where do you see most of the opportunities? Keith. Uh, I'd say I'd offer two things. One is I, I don't think that one of those markets, B2B or B2C, is going to be better or worse than the other. I think there's a huge opportunity in both. I think in B2B, you're going to see um, less of these sort of net 45, net 60 like cash flow issues and instead moving towards instant payments. So anything that was check-based, invoice-based is going to move towards instant payments over time. And I think that alone is going to unlock tremendous value. On the consumer side, I think what you're going to start to see is movement towards things like self-driving finance. The idea where you can set groups of rules as a user to say, well, my paycheck comes in, send this amount here, put this amount in investment, pay off these bills, and it all starts to happen automatically. Things like variable recurring payments uh, in open banking here in the UK are going to make that a reality. And so I think those are two things that I think are really exciting. We're going to see the death of checks in most business cases. And I think you're going to start to see variable recurring payments and in innovations like that start to make self-driving finance a reality for consumers as well. Sorry, sorry, let, uh, Keith, let me double click in one of the things that you said, because it almost seemed to me like uh, you were talking about the, the next generation of, uh, of a PFM, right, of personal finance management. Am I, am I sort of seeing this correctly? Potentially, but they could also be the, just the underlying payment services rails across a variety of providers. So it's not just a single PFM, but you as a user could be able to set rules using open banking services across a, a range of providers. And I think that's going to come over time as well. Eric. So to me, uh, uh, B2C, B2B, uh, to me, the, the both, mar- the, the, the both uh, I would say, uh, market have to, uh, to grow uh, simultaneously. Ah, sorry. Simultaneously. Simultaneously, sorry. Um, uh, the, the point is, uh, for example, in France, uh, people are more at ease to use a, a card uh, to pay. Uh, in, in Germany, they are more at ease to, uh, to use a transfer, thanks to SoFort that is started uh, 20 years ago. So depending on the countries, depending on the, the client experience, depending on how an individual wants to pay, it could be also embedded, as we said, uh, it's, it's, it's a concern, it's a B2B concern. And this challenge has to be uh, solved. And uh, the, the more you are, you are paying uh, or the, the more user experience you may have as B2C, you, will, you, you contribute to grow the B2C business. But this has been said, if in B2B you have, the, you have no means to pay or n- no place you can use your, your, your apps, it, 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 it's, uh, it's worthless. So you, Every market has to grow all together and all are uh, working to facilitate the payments, to allow new services to be, uh, to be used, etc. So they facilitate the, the life of the people, uh, basically, to, to, say, to say that more simple, simply. So um, to me, it's, a, it's a, a global concern. It's not... A, uh, so and we see at, at Resolve, for example, we we start a lot and we 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 have a we, we notice a grow a huge grow on B two B business. Uh, we'd say the, the the three previous years and to, uh, now we are uh, we are noticing a, a huge grow in, in the B two C business, uh, meaning that perhaps. Uh, as the company proposes now services, now the, the people can uh, can use it and to and to apply for for these services. So I, I don't know if uh, 
if there is a, the, the two markets are playing uh, all together and they are, I think, playing together for the same objective, uh, providing new services and innovative services. So to me, it's the same, uh, the same matter. I want you guys to hold that thought on uh, uh, payment adoption because this is how we are going to start uh, the second part of the show. For now, uh, stay with us. We are going into a little break and uh, back with us uh, in a couple of minutes. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by Plaid. Around the world, more people than ever before rely on digital finance for their everyday lives. Plaid provides the open finance platform to make it all possible. Over 5,000 companies worldwide use Plaid to unlock financial freedom for everyone. Plaid helps people connect to and pay from their financial accounts at over 11,000 financial institutions across the UK, Europe and North America. To learn more about Plaid and how we can help you build convenient, fast and secure digital financial and payment experiences, reach out to our team at plaid.com slash breakingbanks. Hey guys, welcome back to the second part of episode 83, brought to you by Plaid. So, the past 18 months, as we were saying at the beginning, Uh, were shifting and leapfrogging uh, pretty much everything in financial services. And uh, if you have been recently uh, assisting uh, to to the show we did about uh, fintech journeys around the world, uh, where where we talked about uh, experiences from uh, uh, Brazil, Middle East, Africa, uh, Asia, Israel, there were parts of the planet where the adoption you know, basically the, the, the transition from cash into digital payments uh, from zero to 60% happened in like three weeks, right? So it was massive because nobody wanted to touch the money anymore. So I wonder how this uh, forced, and I want to say unfortunate sort of uh, forced leapfrog uh, influenced the way you guys approach the solution the way you talk with your clients, uh, and what was the impact, you know, for your own uh, organization? Keith? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll start with the, the last question, work back. I think definitely COVID, uh, the way I like to frame it to people is they accelerated trends that were already happening and have set a new watermark. So I think you saw five years of growth in the value and need of fintech happen in five months out of force. And it was it could, was really painful for some parties, but I think it also just accelerated trends that were already happening. And so I think for us, we saw a few things. One is we went through the same thing that every other company did of everyone having to work remotely all of a sudden. It takes, takes a week of figuring out, can we actually get business done this way? And then realizing, oh yeah, actually we're in a world now in the 21st century where things can function pretty normally in that life. Um, and then what we saw was massive adoption of fintech and massive need for fintech infrastructure. And that really spanned everything from business and government. So we helped distribute PPP loans through our providers in the US, for example, and Cybill's loans here in the UK. One of the biggest challenges from an infrastructure perspective as a government is, okay, I'm going to do stimulus. How do I actually get that stimulus into the hands of businesses? And the infrastructure wasn't there in many cases, and that's where fintech stepped in. Similarly, on the consumer side, you saw whole generations that were used to doing their banking in person at the local bank branch, moving on to fintech. For a period, the fastest growing um, segment for PayPal was people over 50 years old last year because of COVID. 
So I think you had this whole shift in people getting used to using fintech tools and financial services digitally. And I think the other part of the acceleration, as you mentioned, is there was a shift from cash to digital payments. I think we have to be very careful as a society that we bring people along because there's still whole segments that are dependent on cash. And I think that's one of the things where open banking has an exciting impact is now it's cheap enough to serve those people that actually you're starting to see underbanked, non-banked folks brought into the financial services system by fintechs versus traditional financial institutions. And so I think generally all of this just led to a massive acceleration in adoption of fintech. Um, one of my favorite stats to bring up there as well is there was a more than 10 percentage point increase in the adoption of e-commerce in the UK, which is massive when you think about like 10% of commerce moved online in the last year in one go because of COVID. That's not going back. That's staying there and increasing. So I think really you saw this acceleration of trends that were already happening, but in a step function change. Eric, before you before you step in and and, and give us your, your point of view, I want to bring uh, like uh, a, an example on on Italy. It's my country. I don't live there, but of course I'm I'm pretty familiar with, with what is happening in the ecosystem. And you know, just before before COVID, there was this law that uh, sort of imposed the, the mobile point of sales for everyone, right? So the, you know, like the, the it, like the, the the opportunity to pay with a credit card was. Uh, being made mandatory by the government. And of course, you know that Italy is the king of the country of small and medium businesses, uh, that sort of uh, whatever. You know, payments are a bit creative uh, over there. And if possible, you know, cash is, cash is better. So count, a country like Italy, which is not exactly a third world country, you know, it, it sort of went from a place where it was already an achievement for a small and medium business to get a mobile point of sale to be able to like pay locally into a place where that was already sort of history right and and, and not a compelling story anymore so eric maybe you can give uh, you know the uh, a, a, another example you know whilst you comment uh, an answer to this first question but it was uh, that example in a country like Italy of of that sort of leapfrog, I think it's pretty uh, sort of uh, uh, pretty stunning, you know, in terms of uh, even the behavior in the mindset of the of the people, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree that. Uh, uh, so, but, but not only in Italy and Spain uh, also, and even in France, uh, where payments, it's I would say. Uh, uh, common uh, today, uh, the, the, this uh, this context lead uh, or brings uh, uh, I'd say new uh, new state of mind with the the peoples where, uh, as a kid said, we we uh, they, they are now more at ease to use the the, the new technology and the fintech services and and uh, and also uh, uh, vendors or uh, I would say. Uh, Company or small company or even uh, more big one have uh, really uh, take the point, took the point that they have to improve the the way they they, they provide the payments and how to and not only uh, proposing a point of sale with uh, mobile apps or mobile payments, but doing more than that. And online, the online payments uh, was a matter of uh, living or, or dying uh, last year. So. Uh, yes, it is true that we have noticed at Treasure that a, a huge uh, growth for, from the fintech. We we were worried the first months 
we notice the first three, four months uh, that the activity decrease and uh, uh, for example, it's, it's uh, meaning that perhaps people are were waiting for or we we uh, so the, the payment activity decrease a lot uh, during the two three first months and all of a sudden uh, the people did realize that uh, they have a new uh, uh, ways to uh, to pay online and to use services uh, not with cash not with uh, with uh, point of sales but online using apps etc and using fintech services and all of a sudden the 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 fintechs uh, the start to grow and it it's uh, it lasts i would say the, the the previous years and this year we we notice that now the fintech uh, jump or reach another step where they, the the growth is confirmed i have may say they, they confirm the growth and now they are they have started another trend with more volume, more perspective, and et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and this is something that is confirmed in all the countries where we are located. And uh, this is very interesting. As, as we said, even older people now are more at ease to use uh, uh, services from fintech because they, they are alone and they need to uh, cope with their daily life. And I, I think it's there is a as as we said there is a before covid and they will and i think we will we will live uh, after covid and this is for our industry it's a good news uh, really and it will improve and make some innovative services growing faster than it was expected to me keith i see you nodding a lot i mean i mean i, I just fully agree with that like i, th- I think COVID in some ways proved the value of fintech, and I think it will continue to be a valuable part of the ecosystem going forward. But this was the test moment, and I think fintech showed up for for most of society as a really important piece of getting through a time where your financial life changed overnight as a business and individual. You're stuck at home, and you have to do everything digitally, and I think fintech really came through in that moment. And and actually, like, uh, keep keep talking uh, uh, about this. So, Payments is uh, is one aspect, right, of this of this innovation in this new customer behavior. But uh, there is also a, a a galaxy of uh, fintech services that are functional to the payments. You know that uh, had to innovate as fast as the payments did. And I'm thinking about like uh, identity services. You know, security. Uh, you know, authentication, uh, you know, all these uh, sort of corollary services uh, to the payment itself uh, that, you know, that had to uh, adapt itself, right? Uh, could you, like, uh, maybe share some of these uh, some of these trends that came uh, together, you know, with, uh, with, with payments? And where have you seen uh, the, greatest, uh, the greatest innovation? Yeah, I, I, I can chime in there. I think one big thing that people maybe don't think about as much as just as important as the payment was your financial data side. And I think I'll, I'll talk about that from both a business and a consumer perspective. So if you were a business, right, you're used to loaning against statements on your on your company or your credit score, which has always been lagging. When COVID hit, um, you know, exactly as Eric described, for many businesses, there was a there's a cliff drop temporarily. That wasn't reflected in lagging data, but it was reflected in real-time transaction data. So what we saw as a development here was actually a huge demand of and increasing use of 
open banking real-time transaction data to measure and understand the health of individuals and businesses in that moment. So not something that's six months old or based on how often you repaid something from 12 months ago. It's what's the cash flow going through your business accounts right now today. And that is going to become, I think, the norm going forward in terms of how you measure health of businesses and consumers. The other thing that changed is you were probably using a lot of different services. You had your, your pension somewhere, your main current account somewhere, you might have had an investment account somewhere or a savings account somewhere. All of a sudden, if your financial life as an individual changed overnight because of COVID, you had to find and track and really get an understanding of what's my financial health. So we saw a huge increase in demand for the ability to track and understand your health across all of those different services, which again, is something where open banking plays a huge part. So I think as well as the payment side, the data side, was really important in helping individuals get through this. And we ran surveys in the US and found that more than 60% of individuals wouldn't have been able to manage their financial life without some sort of fintech to track and understand their finances during COVID. I think that's really impactful. And I think that trend will continue going forward as people went through the step of understanding, I want to know where, where my money is, how it's being used, and now I'm gonna use that on an ongoing basis. Actually, it's, uh, uh, I want to pick on, on the last thing you say to ask a question to, to both of you. And uh, you, you said that like 60% of the people you interviewed would not be able to sort of cope with financial services without, without a fintech, right? Which makes me uh, ask you, what do you think is now the role and will be the role of uh, the more traditional you know, part of the part of the equation, so the incumbents, right? Uh, because uh, I see I see them smartly using more and more uh, companies like you guys uh, to like uh, efficiently deploy services that would take too long, too much. Uh, uh, sorry, too long. It would be too difficult and too expensive. You know, to 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 build it themselves. Great. At the same time, they have also to like change mindset a little bit, and not only the not invented here syndrome, but as well as, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, acknowledge the fact that, uh, you know, if I use a third parties are going to be more, more efficient. How have you seen uh, in the past, uh, uh, I don't know, say, say months, you know, because I, I'm pretty sure that even for financial institution, there was a big shift, uh, uh, you know, in the past, uh, in the past year and a half. How do you see their role and most importantly, mindset uh, evolving, Keith? Yeah, I, I guess I'll start out with one thing. I think this has been happening for a while, but it's now become, because of COVID, the primary thing. Your mobile app needs to be thought of as your primary way to acquire and keep customers. So if, if you're a, an institution, you need to have a, a top-tier application experience and user experience, because that is so critical. I think the other thing that you need to think about as a financial institution, I think the forward-leaning ones are starting to do this, is are you going to be the place that provides all financial services for your users? Or instead, are you going to start to expose those services that you provide today and plug them into other places where users might find them? In essence, can you become the provider themselves? And we're already starting to see that with some financial institutions starting to create their own API-based services or leverage partners to offer that and expose their services in other places. I do think you're going to start to see that happening. And I think the institutions that have gotten their head around, okay, if I own the current account for a user what I'm going to start to become is the routing hub for that user's life, as opposed to the big store down the street where they go to for all their financial services. I'm the place where they go to route all of their financial services into other providers. And there's value in that as well. I think you're starting to see institutions go through that mindset shift 
And that's a really important one to think through as well. Eric, you have uh, you have you have an incumbent as part of your uh, daily life, uh, you know, most of the time. So you're very well placed to uh, to answer this question. Yeah, so uh, we have noticed some some change with some partners, uh, even from banks. Let's say, uh, you know, time to market was always uh, a discussion or matter to to take into account, and. With the, the COVID-19, we, the, the time to market uh, were, I would say, stressed at this maximum. So uh, before we say, okay, to, to not miss this wave, we need, to, we need to set something in six months or let's say eight months. Uh, so we will be up and running next year. So the, the things happen is if you were not able to start something in two months, as the, the, the tsunami will just last one year. So when you, you, you get ready, it's too, it's, it's, it's too late. So the, the, my, my point is uh, using platform and using fintech uh, now is really identified as a matter of success, being on live and being going live uh, very quick. Uh, so because sometimes just saying that or studying, studying the matter last six, eight months for company, just to decide or to have a, 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 an idea of shall I go that way, shall I go in-house, or etc. So now it is more obvious that technology needed to be implemented is not that easy. Uh, the guys have done the job, so why not starting uh, and not uh, struggling months uh, to decide and decide uh, set the service and let's say if I am successful, maybe I can ask some questions, deep, deeper question later on. So uh, to me, uh, I, I noticed that I have less and less discussion on shall I do it my, by, by my own or shall I use your service? There is no discussion. So the idea is to just move ahead and, and let make it happen. So that's, uh, that's interesting because now, as the, the people or the, the, the individuals now are more at ease to use digital services, so time to market become more and more, um, I would say, a, 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 an issue or strategic. And that means that everybody got the message, the society change or can change dramatically in a short period of time. So... Perhaps uh, we have to cope with the COVID-19 today, but what will happen in, in three, five years? What would be uh, the trigger of a, the next changes? We don't know, but what we know, it will happen. So to me, uh, to me, uh, there's a message uh, as was taken into account by, by company. And uh, to me, uh, well, for platforms such as uh, Trezor or uh, Kate, once we 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 have the now we, I'm sure that we spend less time to explain uh, how to set something uh, very fast and how it is complex to do so. Even though the the client journey is very simple, <laughs> it is as I said, it is like in music. So when you play something very simple, doesn't mean that you cannot play something very fast. So, you know, it's. It's just, uh, it just because you are very experimented <laughs> or you have experiences. <laughs> That's it. So 
this is my uh, my comments on the matter. Keith, you wanna you wanna add something? I was I wasn't sure if you wanted to compliment. No, I mean I, I think I definitely agree with that, and and that was a great point by Eric. But I think another key mindset shift you're seeing is this idea of I should partner for everything that's not my core competency because it will increase time to market drastically. And so I, I would definitely agree that you're seeing less of that internal debate and more of a recognition of these are the things I as an institution do really well. These are the things I don't, and I'm going to partner for the things that I don't because that's going to get me to market faster and speed matters right now. Uh, actually, you know, uh, apologies if uh, uh, I go back to the uh, like the emerging markets chapter, but you will see, Keith, that I'm going into your avenue or at least into an avenue that you like. So talking about accounts to account payments, right? That uh, you see as one of the trends, you know, for the future. You know, can you imagine a world where uh, accounts are actually completely interoperable? Like uh, think uh, mobile wallet uh, and bank accounts completely interoperable, right? This is uh, no news in uh, Western economies, right? But in emerging economies, uh, this is a battle still today. There are only very few countries, you know, in Africa, for example, which is the continent that I know best after, you know, the, the usual suspect ones, uh, meaning Europe and, 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 and US. In, there are few countries like Tanzania, for example, where thanks to an, an, an open banking uh, uh, infrastructure, brought by the Miller Belinda Gates Foundation. We're talking Moja Loop from our friends Costa and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. You know, both bank accounts and uh, uh, telco accounts, uh, mobile wallets, are interoperable. The effect was a huge jump into financial inclusion. So I am now, I have this like a light bulb, you know, in my mind saying, wait a second, guys, the moment where, you know, people actually companies, players like you can push, you know, wallet and bank accounts to become interoperable, financial inclusion will boost immensely. So that is maybe the greatest opportunity and also sort of along with this account to account trends that you were mentioning, Keith. Don't you think, I mean, sorry, follow with, sorry for the rant, but I was trying to, to make sense of an idea that they just had. What do you think? I think we need to get you on stage. You're you're such a good spokesperson for the future of financial services. No, I, I, I could agree more, though. And I think this is part of the value that infrastructure players can bring because it will take an incredibly long time to rely on governments to create that interoperability themselves between the rails. And so a lot of the value, and like I, I think about this from our perspective at Plaid, a lot of the value that we bring to our largest customers is we can help them create the same experience and interoperability across New York City, Toronto, London, Barcelona. Uh, and I think over time, as open banking spreads to more and more jurisdictions, that is what's going to happen. And if you think about some of the things today, like why should it cost 5 6% of a transaction to do remittances across borders? You're going to start to see that get eroded over time because of this interoperability. But that, take, that takes time, it takes effort, but that is definitely, I feel like, inevitable, along with the rise of account-to-account -account payments alongside that. And I think that's where we're headed over time. Uh, and it's taking a lot of players working together to make that a success. But you're 100% right that that's where we're going. And I think ultimately in the future, the idea of being able to 
you know, send money directly to another account, regardless of where they bank. That's the future of unlocking financial freedom. And I think we're headed in that direction. Eric, would you agree with that? Please That's comment me. a bit on my rant as well. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm totally agree with with that. I think there are, but I, I'm to me there there are there, there are still uh, some room for improvement. Well, I, I don't know uh, uh, for 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 other countries or uh, such as uh, Tanzania or I don't know Brazil or let's say Asia, but in Europe, for example, we are coping with uh, the the point is because of the regulation uh, we need to to put in place so. Before we imagine the open banking like this, so allowing transfer between payments, making a terrific client journey, uh, making it very easy to uh, and cheap, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, instantaneously, um, uh, something uh, real time. So we imagine everything, but regulator, uh, and, and this is a question that often I am raising. Say. Innovation uh, uh, shall innovation will innovation will come from regulators or innovation uh, should come from uh, fintechs. Uh, I mean that we, we innovate and create some I would say uh, innovative payments products or services, and all of a sudden the regulation the regulators say, okay, you need now to manage your credential and you need now to do this 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 this, and now it doesn't work because. Uh, even though I have an application to uh, uh, transfer uh, from account to account, I need to uh, identify myself uh, each, uh, I don't know, I need to uh, put my credential like this and like this, and all of a sudden say, okay, forget it. It's too complex. So to me, uh, there are room for improvement. But this has been said, yes, I'm totally agree that thanks to this account to account facility, we 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 have uh, there are some requests to pay uh, services that come through. We have uh, other lots of uh, I would say uh, uh, services that uh, that are proposed. So uh, to me, it's uh, it, it's really uh, a good opportunity to uh, uh, to evolve in the industry, and uh, there are I think uh, good potential on this uh, on this room. A couple of a couple of quick points. For sure, I mean, we are talking about you know if Europe was the Eldorado of the like open banking uh, solution and instant payments, but it's not. You know, there is there are plenty of uh, opportunities in uh, you know still in Europe, and of course, you know the emerging market is a completely other other scene where even the needs and the footprint, uh, the techno the technology footprint is is different. I was thinking. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, guys, but uh, there is this platform called Lender Market in the in uh, in Europe, and it's a, like a peer-to-peer platform uh, where anyone in Europe uh, can basically is it can basically lend lend his own money. It's a peer-to-peer lending uh, that is coupling with uh, like a, a a loan originator, like uh, I don't know, uh, Credit Star or stuff like that, right? And well, the way to deposit money in this platform for anyone in Europe, uh, it looks like still a bit prehistorical, right? So I have to make a wire. There is a difference. It takes three days. There is no reason why this thing, which is, by the way, such an innovative service uh, per se, you know, like a crowd lending peer-to-peer Europe-wide, there is no reason uh, why the fund deposit should be that uh, I don't want to say cumbersome, but if nothing else, uh, slow, right? So one thing I wanted to say is that uh, in, even in Europe, uh, 
in the fintech space, there are like still huge opportunities. And something else, but maybe this is, you know, I know that we have to, to wrap up, Keith, but if you, you know, I would be extremely interested in, you mentioned the, like the democratization of, of payments. You say, why does it cost uh, like a six to 8% to send the payment uh, from like a, a point A to point B that are not like Paris and Berlin, right? Well, it would be interesting to figure out uh, the moment you start uh, interacting uh, between continents, for example, or between currencies that are not, uh, you know, the easy ones, you know, where it is easy to edge and stuff like that, whether or not what's the role of uh, decentralized finance and what is the role of uh, uh, players like uh, Plaid and Trezor uh, to uh, uh, to play with it. but. Uh, I want to just leave the like this appetizer, you know, for uh, for our auditors because I think it's a super interesting discussion. Quick, quick comment on this case, maybe. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's an incredible amount of opportunity, and I think there is still improvement in our own backyards. And so, obviously, I think both Eric and myself and others are are busy at work from that. And while I think this process is inevitable from a first principles perspective of smartphones for the foreseeable future are going to be how people manage their financial life. You're going to be doing that from an app-based ecosystem. And account-to-account payments make sense in an app-based ecosystem. That is inevitable. But getting there is going to require a lot of work and a lot of improvements and changes. And hopefully along the way, we'll see all sorts of interesting innovations coming from spaces like DeFi as well. Um, But I think there's still a lot of work to do in just the core traditional financial infrastructure as well. Keith, thank you very much because uh, I was secretly hoping uh, you to wrapping up the show for me and you just did much better than what I could have done it myself. So now the only thing I have to do is uh, to thank you both for being part of this show, to thanks Plaid, of course, to uh, sponsor this uh, this show for uh, for us. I think the discussion, I enjoyed at least the discussion very much. Super quickly, how can people... Uh, find you, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, and like maybe your, your website, Keith? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at KM Gross, K-M-G-R-O-S-E, or plat.com. Great. Eric? Trezor, Trezor.com and LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Eric Lessis. Great. Guys, thank you very much for being part of the show. That was show 83. Stay tuned. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.